Good morning. It's great to see all of you here today. Welcome to those of you joining us online. I think today is going to be a special day. Welcome to our second message in our series, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World. Um, I want to begin by reading some uh, scripture from the Old Testament, but before I do, I want to encourage you to put yourself into the story. We're going to read um, from Second uh, Kings, and we're going to read a story about Elijah. Not Elijah, Elijah, his uh, successor. And I want to encourage you, as I read this story, imagine that you're the servant in the story. Imagine what that would have felt like, okay? So here we go. It'll, it'll make sense as I, I read the scripture. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such a such a place. The man of God, that's a reference to Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that uh, place indicated by the man of God. Time And again, Elijah warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elijah, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go out, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I could send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Now imagine you're the servant of Elijah. Put yourself into the story, okay? When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Wouldn't you have that perspective? You go, oh, man, we're in big trouble here. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I would have thought, what are you talking about? Wouldn't you have thought that? Like, I see horses and chariots. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Now, come on, that would have been mind-bending, right? All of a sudden, your, your eyes are open, and you're seeing something you never saw before. It would have just changed your worldview real quick, Amen. As the enemy came down towards him, Elijah prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Elijah told them, this is not the road. This is not the city. Follow me and I'll lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel territory. Quite a story, isn't it? So what do you learn from examples like this? When you read a story like this in the Old Testament from 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 23, what's your takeaway? Here's mine. There's more to this world than the physical. There's a spiritual battle going on, and oftentimes we're not even aware of it. That's my takeaway. There's more to this world than the physical, and oftentimes there's a spiritual battle going on that we may not even be aware of it. And what the Old Testament illustrates, the New Testament plainly makes known. 
How many of you know Ephesians 6, verse 12? Anybody memorize that? Yeah, I'll bet you, yeah, Brennan said, you're a pastor, buddy, you don't count. So how many of you know that scripture? Have you memorized it? You're going to know it when I read it to you. Listen to this. It says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, in heavenly realms. So what the Old Testament illustrated with this story here that I just read to you from 2 Kings, the New Testament just plainly states, hey, we're in a spiritual battle. And it's, it's got dark forces associated with it and spiritual forces of evil. Um, and so we're on this week two of becoming whole in the fractured world. Now, during these first three weeks, what we're doing here is we're identifying why the world is fractured. And we saw from the first message last week that the problem is sin. The basic problem of fracturing of this world is sin. And basically sin is, is, is not understanding the love of God and, and not understanding how to love other people. That's what's at the root of it. Now today what we're going to do is see that there's powers at work, there's principalities at work that also fracture the world that we live in. There are these spiritual dark forces. And, and we're going to look for a few moments into how these then also fracture this world. Um, and then in week three, we'll get to some, some talk on, on, on trauma. Now, I readily admit, I cut my spiritual teeth in the charismatic movement in the Twin Cities before most of you here today were born. I went through this Jesus people movement. I went through this charismatic movement. I, I went to some, what I would call, extreme Pentecostal churches. And uh, I received a lot of teaching along the lines of spiritual warfare. A lot. I've been the recipient of some pretty elaborate layered kind of teachings of demonic rulers and levels of demonic authorities and powers of this dark world. Not all that bad to have that as a background. Perhaps a little extreme. But it, it tended to form some of my basic understanding uh, of life. Now, I imagine that most of you here today do not have that background, right? Are you gonna, most of you, when we sing a song and you raise your hands, that's a big spiritual moment. That's taking a risk, right? Some of you are laughing. I can't even get you all to say amen here. <laughs> Much less, you know, anyway. So, but here's what I want to say. I, I know we have different backgrounds, but what I'm going to talk with you today is of the most important spiritual understanding. You just got to understand some of this stuff. So whatever your background is, whether you're like me and grew up in kind of maybe more of extreme kind of circumstances of, of, of some things, uh, or grew up in the other side, uh, open yourself up to what God wants to say to you this morning and what he wants to reveal to you today. Rick uh, Volodas in his book, Good and Beautiful and Kind, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World, um, has, he really expanded my understanding of principalities and powers. I thought I kind of knew about them, but even after reading this book, I'm going, ah, oh, that's super insightful. So we have this book for sale again today, right, Dave? And I don't know how many copies are left. First hour, I heard a lot of people going to get them. So I think about another hundred, right? Yeah, so if you want to get this book and read along with the series, you're sure welcome uh, to do that. There are some books available out at, out at the Information Center. Um, but I love his definition of uh, powers and principalities. I think this is a great way to start the, the message today. So I'm going to just give his definition, defining powers and principalities. This is what Rich says in his book. Powers 
And principalities are spiritual forces that become hostile, taking root in individuals, ideologies, and institutions with the goal of deception, division, and depersonalization. So let me say that to you again. Powers and principalities are are spiritual forces that become hostile, taking root in individuals, in ideologies, and institutions with the goal of deception, division, and depersonalization. I I begin reading chapter 2, which is on this subject matter, and it was kind of a hard chapter to read. Um, And Basically, what he was, was saying in this chapter to begin with was, uh, 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 or what he was doing was giving an example of how there's a deception, division, and depersonalization going on and how easily that can be overlooked and how we can be uh, deluded into not seeing it. And what he talked about was lynching. And it was a terrible, terrible um, tragedy when that was taking place in our country. And he said, and he kind of gives a story, he sets you up about this Christian wife who is just, the ideal person and she makes pies and they go to church and yet they would go witness this lynching. And I'm going, oh my goodness, that makes my stomach sick. How could we become so, so desensitized to this abhorrent evil kind of thing, right? That's the point he's making here. It became institutionalized. It became accepted and people were taking it without putting it through a biblical filter. You know, as Aaron was praying this morning, I, 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 I liked what he prayed about ideologies. You know, we, we, we just have these ideologies that are coming forth like crazy today. They're not scriptural. But they have some Christianese speak in them and people are getting deluded into thinking this somehow is biblical. We have got to become ruthlessly biblically oriented. And we don't take at face value ideologies uh, that are so destructive. I'm not going to talk a whole lot on, on individuals and ideologies today when it comes to these powers that are at work. I'm going to go more to the institutional side. But man alive, friends, put everything through the filter of God's word. Right? That filter is essentially important for us uh, to be grounded in a day that so much information so readily char- shared. And just because it's said on the internet, we know that doesn't make it true, right? That was a bad, bad joke. Anyway, um, 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 so these powers are at work in individuals, in, in, in ideologies and institutions. And most likely we're more vulnerable than we realize and more exposed than we're aware of to their influence in our lives. Years ago, our family went to um, uh, the Screw Tape Letters play down in Omaha. And, and this was written by uh, C.S. Lewis. And it's about this, this demon named Screwtape who's basically mentoring a younger demon named Wormwood. And he's talking about effective strategies for tempting this human assigned to him. At one point, Screwtape says this to his young, uh, his young men, uh, mentee. There are two equal and opposite errors into which humans can fall prey to the demonic. One is to disbelieve their existence. Just don't think they exist. Just don't believe that they're real. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The devils themselves are equally pleased with both of these errors. So as just defined, I'm going to say it again. Powers and principalities are spiritual forces that become hostile, taking root in individuals, ideologies, 
and institutions with the goal of deception, division, and depersonalization. And I readily see this in individuals, and I readily see this in ideologies. But you know, one thing that's been expanded by the reading of this book for me is how this works in institutions, and how institutions, whether intentionally or unintentionally, are also leading to a lot of fracture of our world. Um, But be careful as we consider all this, because sometimes we tend to demonize things that we shouldn't do. There's there's, there's, there's this uh, balance that we need to have, you know, between not seeing a demon behind everything and, uh, you know, and also realizing they're at work with some things. Here's, here's my take on this whole subject matter. Most of the time in my life, the big problem is my own sinfulness and selfishness. You okay with me saying that? Most of the time, that's the enemy we face, and it fractures us like crazy because it's a violation of God's love to, towards God and towards others. But there is the spiritual warfare they're engaged in. And man, from the institutional level, um, I think sometimes we don't see it because we see institutions as benign. But listen, if something is telling you, you do life without Jesus Christ, it's a fracturing element to the cause of Christ. And so many of our institutions say, do life without Jesus. That's a problem. Okay, we have to be conscience of their viewpoint and how destructive it can be. So let me give you some examples of media, and, or excuse me, media is one of them, I already jumped into it, of institutional powers and how they work. Look, look at the media. Media basically just ignores Christianity, frequently vilifies it, sometimes accommodates it when it's convenient. Think about the recent case with DeMar, uh, the number three from the Bills, having that heart attack on the field. Everybody's frantic. We're praying. All of a sudden, now a newscaster, or, or, or ESP and uh, sports dude actually prays over there. And I've heard some people come to me and say, why don't they pray more like this? Why does it take an emergency for us to break down and pray? Well, here's what I say back. After every single NFL game, they gather at the center of the field. They do pray. Guess what the media's doing? It's not covering it, right? It's filtering it out. We don't see it because they, on purpose, don't want to broadcast that until there is something so big and large that they can't help but broadcast it. See, when the media does this, it becomes an institution against Christ contributing to the fracture of our world. So we have to understand that when we're dealing with that that institution. Governments and political movements, oh my goodness, if Christ is not at the center of those things, then they become an institution contributing to the fracture of our world. How about corporates, corporations and industry? I spend a lot of my life working in industry. What they do, whether it's un- unintentional or intentional, is they just make life about everything but Jesus Christ. Life's about productivity, about performance, about selling widgets, right? And, and getting those kinds of things done. Um, and it, 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 whether unintentionally or intentionally, it becomes then a fracturing element, uh, you know, an institution uh, contributing to the fracture of, of this world. How about secular science? I love science. But so much of secular science is opposed to God and the Bible and his ways, and it becomes then a fracturing institution. Um, you know, it, it contributes to the problems of, of this world. By the way, many scientists over history ha- have been what I would call hardcore followers of Jesus Christ. 
Take, for example, John Kepler. Some of you are going to know that name. Anyway, famous scientist. He coined a phrase that became a model that was adopted by um, many Christian scientists. Um, and he said this about scientific research and, and, and ideas and discovery. Scientists were merely thinking God's thoughts after him. And I remember hearing that as a young guy really interested in science. That deeply influenced me. They said, yep, good science is just merely thinking God's thoughts after him. In fact, Kepler went on to say this. Um, scientists must guard against the propensity to glorify their own minds instead of giving God the glory. So there are glimmering lights in the midst of some of these things that are pretty secular. By and large, by and large, science has become an institution setting itself against God, thus contributing to the fracture of this world. And of course, we can see how cities and nations do this and how sports in general uh, do this. So hear this now. These various institutional powers, they can still have people who love Jesus in the midst of them. And there still are shining examples of this kind of thing. But by and large, these kind of institutions, unintentionally or intentionally, ignore or attempt to replace the primacy of Christ in one's existence. Like sin is a failure to love God and to love others. Ultimately, institutions, ideologies, and individuals that have, you know, adopted hostile ways to Christ, thus are operating out of deception, division, and depersonalization. Uh, depersonalization. Um, they are really operating in, in that fracturing of the world by separating people from the love of God, too. Therein lies the root of the problem. Listen to uh, the promise of Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 38 through 39. Um, For I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death or life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any what? Powers. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So what Paul's saying here is, hey, nothing, guys, can separate you from the love of Christ. But get this. Powers and all these other things, man, they wreak havoc on our world. They do separate the world from the love of Christ. And you know, from the unsuspecting follower of Christ, they can wreak havoc in your life too. And so um, our big thought for the message today is simply this, that by deception, division, and depersonalization, powers aim to separate people from the love of God. Yeah, and, and, and so, in fact, in, in this book, Rich says this, um, division, deception, and depersonalization, are basically the job description of powers that oppose Christ. Okay? Think about that. It's their job description. This is what they do. They deceive, they divide, and they depersonalize. And what I'm about to cover, there's a couple ways you can engage in this. You can say, oh, I see the world and how broken it is. I see all these bad individuals and all this bad ideologies and all this, you know, wrong institutional uh, kind of, you know, thing going on. And you can come out, walk away, go, oh, man, this world is a cruddy place to live in. Well, we know the world we live in is dark. There's another way you can engage today. You can think about some self-awareness kind of things here. What's causing your brokenness? Are there wrong influences in your life that are causing you to doubt God? Are there wrong institutions in your life causing you to try to live in this vacuum without God's presence and primacy being there? You know, I worked at 3M. 
I understand what it means to work at a secular place day in and day out. I went there 15 years, but I remember telling my wife frequently, I'm God's holy experiment today. I'm going to live all loud for Christ in the midst of a place that doesn't live for Christ. All right? So I'm saying you've just got to be aware of what you're doing and dealing with here. And you've got to be purposely kind of saying, I'm engaging in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ. So when we, when I, what I'm talking about with you today, it's, it's one thing to understand what we're talking about kind of in this, this oh, the, these, these things have fractured the world. But how is it affecting you? And what are you going to do about it? God always starts movements with his people. That's you and me. He always starts movements by changing our hearts and our attitudes first. We're going to be effective in this world and we're going to, uh, you know, be a a great voice for God uh, if we do understand that there's this powers and principalities at work um, that are the hostile forces behind a lot of people's life view, a lot of ideologies and and a lot of institutions, and they do work by deception and by division and by depersonalization, but we just need to become aware so that that does not influence us, amen? And how we do our life and how how we see things. If, if, If that be the case, then we're falling into that trap of that power. So powers are able to separate people from the love of God by deception. Let's talk about this first. That just means orienting your life around wrong, culturally promoted priorities. And the priorities of of so much of culture is productivity, performance, persona, and uh, position, especially in the corporate world. Power is deceived by persuading you to just orient your life around the wrong things. And at first, they may seem good, and they may seem innocent, but they can quickly become a lie that you're trying to live out. So let me me share what I'm talking about. America is about productivity, at least corporate America. It's about performance. It's about persona having these larger-than-life leaders. It's about getting that position. How many of you, I mean, I worked through thinking, oh, the next position, that'll be great. I'll get more money. I'll have more whatever, recognition, whatever you want to call those. And you, and you work to get these positions. Now, I'm going to say this. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with performing well. There's nothing wrong with wanting a good position. But if that's what you begin to seek in the absence of Christ, you begin to live a lie. You begin to think those things will bring you happiness. They will not. You begin to think that will bring my life satisfaction. It will not. And you've been sucked into a powers way of thinking, doing life devoid of Christ. Remember, powers are hostile forces that take over individuals and ideologies and institutions. And they work by deception and Division and depersonalization. John 8, 44 tells us that Satan is the father of lies. He's going to tell you this is going to bring your life satisfaction. This is going to be something that makes you happy. I grew up in a time, man, I tell you, I grew up in a time when good fathers were viewed as ones who were productive and they brought home the bacon, so to speak. Is there something wrong with that? Yeah, it's super short. A good father isn't just somebody that makes a bunch of money and gives his family good food or whatever. It's way more than that, amen? But back then, that was viewed as good fatherhood. It was devastating to the family. The 
these things work that way. They're insidious. You just think, well, it's not, it sounds good, but it's not good. And the father of lies manipulates these things to make them sound enticing. And then pretty soon, if we're not careful, we're living out a lie. One of the big challenges for the follower is dealing with seemingly benign institutions who are frequently just promoting the idea, you just can do life devoid of Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and elementary, elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than in Christ. So we just got to watch out for deception, okay? That's the first thing we got to watch out for. Second is uh, division. Division. Powers aim to separate people from the love of God by division. Wrongly seeing those who disagree with you as enemies and then vilifying them. Much of present-day culture believes to some degree that if you disagree with somebody, they're your enemy. Now, here's what's going on. You've got to see this. Media promotes this. Media loves drama. Media wants to push people to extremes so that there's, there's a division and there's an energy of this conflict going on because it sells things. How about politics? Do you ever wonder why we go to such extremes right now, Right? Because there's a power of division at work. And, and division, you know, in order to get some votes and get elected by your party, you've got to be a person of extreme. So all of a sudden, all we have is our extreme, extreme candidates. And this division, I tell you what, we should look at the world and say, well, that's normal. That's the world, right? Yeah. Here's the problem. It's just a small step for the followers of Jesus to begin to do this. With each other in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not asking anybody here to overlook heretical teachings or sinful behavior and, you know, have kumbaya love that's sloppy and gooey and not biblically based at all. But I tell you what, friends, we live in a culture and a time where division is just this power at hand that's just killing the life of people. And in the church, we need to be different. We need to be united around the cause of Christ. And sure, you can like Green Bay and I can like the Vikings. So what? By the way, the Vikings are in the playoff this year and the Green Bay's not. But I can rarely, rarely say that. <laughs> so, but you know, um, I see so many disagreements in the church that are about things like, you know, dress or music or a service order. It just wears me out. And we have this divisive, combative spirit with one another that's life-taking, not life-giving. I frequently talk with somebody and they may be sharing some thoughts with me out there or whatever. And I may not agree with some of the things that are being said, but if it's not biblical, I don't care. I just let it go. doesn't matter. I don't have to be right. I may be wrong too with what I think, you know. And so what we have to begin to do is ruthlessly in the church be about unity and centeredness on Jesus Christ. And see, and that's the rub. When we let this divisiveness come into the church, then we become divided and we lose our witness to the world. Love of brothers and sisters in Christ is to be one of the defining markers of the movement of Jesus Christ. Um, we, we know the world's going to be a place of division and conflict until Jesus returns, but his church does not have to be that way. Does it? No, it does not. 
We do not have to be divided and we do not have to be ones that are fighting over every little thing. And, and so what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to pray John 17 over us, verses 20 through 27. Um, and so I would ask you to just bow your head and receive this as a prayer today. Would you do that, please? Jesus said this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I'll continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself might be in them. May this be so, Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. So division ultimately is a power that resists the love of God. It's pretty institutionalized in our culture right now, especially in places like politics and and, and media. And it's an ideology that many have embraced as a way of of doing life. But the church is not to be like this. We're to be united around the cause of Christ, ruthlessly guarding biblical truth. But I would also say this, ruthlessly being on guard not to make secondary things anything more than a secondary thing. Let's go to one last point here. Power is aimed to separate people from the love of God by depersonalization. Depersonalization. Um, This is wrongly seeing generic groups of people rather than individuals. Depersonalizing does not see individuals as sacred creations by God. I love Psalm 139. It says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows our beginning from our end. There's this uniqueness. There's this specialty to every person created. God knows your name. He knows your beginning from your end. He loves you, and you're created individually with this, 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 this specialness, this sacredness in the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what, what we got to watch out for is that we don't depersonalize one another. We don't put people into groups and vilify that group. Um, we don't categorize people, ignoring and dismissing their unique stories, their unique pain, and their unique gifts. But we value people for who they are. You could talk to somebody you're dramatically opposed to, but you could still see the specialness of God at work in their life. You could still choose to look at them not as a group or category, but as an individual. And man, if they need Jesus, then pray like crazy. Jesus come into their lives. Well, this is enough talk on powers. So in summary for the last two weeks, what have we learned? Sin fractures the world. It's really not understanding the love of God or the love of other people. It's kind of an internal heart thing. It's probably the majority of the reason that the world is so fractured. Today we learned that there's this external power at work. There's this, 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 this you know, of Satan. Uh, you know, these powers and, and principalities that they are hostile forces then that you come into individuals and ideologies and institutions that lead to deception, division, and, and depersonalization. So uh, next week... 
Yay, I get to turn it over to Pastor Aaron. Hallelujah. He's going to talk on trauma. Wow. How many of you have experienced some kind of trauma in your life? Man, I tell you. I can look back at things that happened to me 50 years ago and say, man, that thing still screws me up. Anybody else relate to me on that? It's just a powerful, powerful fracturing tool. And then after that, we're getting into six weeks of talking about how to get healthy and all that kind of stuff and how to be whole. All right. So we're going to major on that part. Still got to know the problem before you can major on the solution. But I want to talk about operating power for just a moment here to end this message. This is going to be super quick. And then Kyle and Gary come up here and close us out with a, a, a song. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to pick up the reading from, chapter 12, uh, from verse 12, beginning with verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, how many of you heard a message on this? Yeah, usually when you hear a message on this, we talk about the, the helmet protects the head, the, the breastplate protects the heart, the belt of truth is about the core, you got to have the core of your being truth. I'm not going to do any of that. Instead, I'm going to relate this all back to what I just shared with you. All right? We're in the spiritual warfare. We're dealing with powers and principalities. We have to be people of truth. We have to be people of truth, and we're accurately naming and calling out opposing powers. Accurately doing that. We accurately name and call out opposing powers. So we deal with what we're dealing with in life honestly. An institution that's benign that says you can do life without Jesus Christ, you have to say... Okay, I can work here as unto the Lord, but I cannot accept this philosophy as my way of doing life. You cannot do life in a vacuum, devoid of Jesus Christ. So for 15 years, when I went to 3M every day, I prayed, God, give me grace to live my life out loud for you today. I realized that I live and move and have my being in you. I do not live devoid of you. Even the eight hours or 10 hours a day, I'm at this place. Amen? You begin to live as a person of truth. You're accurately naming and calling out opposing powers. You're not vilifying them necessarily. I mean, the things of the world are going to be things of the world. Just got to know what's going on. Righteousness. Now think about righteousness. It's in contrast to deception, division, and depersonalization. So righteousness would be I'm truthful instead of being deceptive. I seek biblical unity instead of being divisive. And I, um, I value the creative uniqueness in others instead of putting people into generic groups that I want to vilify. I refuse to vilify people. I see them as individuals. I see them as special creations in Christ Jesus. To me, that's righteousness. Being truthful, seeking biblical unity, and embracing God's creative uniqueness in others. Peace. We carry the good news of peace to this fractured world. We are peace bearers wherever we go. It doesn't mean we do sloppy peace. It means that we bring to bear on situations calmness and peace in Jesus Christ. Fourth, it's faith. You've got to put your confidence in Jesus and his powers. The power of Jesus overcomes the powers of this world. We've got to stand fast as followers of Christ in the power of Jesus Christ. Faith, put your confidence in Jesus and in his power. And then salvation, Jesus alone 
We create individuals, ideologies, and institutions. He is the solution. He is the solution. He is the solution. There is no other solution. Uh, no government law passed will change a heart. You, have, I know, you know I'm fond of saying that. Jesus changes hearts. Jesus is the solution. There is no other solution. I love what Pastor Serenity shared today. At some point, you come to that crisis moment where you're going to go, I'm going to go with Jesus or I'm going to go with the, with, with the powers of this world. We've got to go with Jesus. We're always going with Jesus. Amen? It's all about Jesus. Jesus is at the center. Are you getting this? Because I see a lot of people thinking there's other solutions out there. And I'm going, there is no other solution for this broken world than Jesus Christ, period. There is no other solution. Amen? Amen. Anything that says otherwise is a power that's putting itself against Christ. Sword of the Spirit means overcoming opposing powers by internalizing and applying God's truth then. Putting it into your heart and applying it. Putting it into your heart and applying it. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for this uh, opportunity to speak and to share some thoughts about powers and principalities. I know for, for many of us, this is a bit of a stretch today, Lord. Um, that's okay. You always stretch us. And I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be wise, that we would be wise. You know, as your word says, that uh, we'd be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents when it comes to uh, living in the times we find ourselves in, Lord. So give us wisdom from on high. Holy Spirit, fill every person here today. And if any people here today don't know you, Jesus, I pray that's where this all starts. You just can't see the world right until you know Jesus is your Savior. And so I pray, Lord, for any here today that maybe this is the first day, like Serenity talked about, the first day where they just begin to walk with you and you begin to change your life. And someday they'll look back and say, that was the moment where you just changed my life, Jesus, and I live entirely different. So I pray for anyone today to just receive you into their heart, Jesus, that doesn't know you. And I pray for us in general, in a kind of categorical way, Lord, help us to understand the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. Help us to understand how some of the stuff takes root in, in individuals and ideologies and institutions, Lord, and that they, they then nat- naturally kind of operate in deception and division and depersonalization. Help us to stand fast against such things, Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be uh, in this world, but not out of this world. God, thank you that you're greater than everything we face. Now as we end with this, uh, this song and this moment of, of just uh, worshiping you this way, may you just be in the midst of this, Lord. I pray this in your name, Jesus, and by your blood. Amen.